Cross oh. comes in. White with the header. And here comes Whitehead. It's gold for Great Britain. Welcome to another episode of Track and Ball Podcast with myself, Ellen White. And I'm Richard Whitehead. Now, on today's episode, we have a footballer. We oh, have a footballer. No. Um, he's played four times for his country, born and raised in the Midlands, started off his career at Nottingham Forest. He has a thunderbolt of right foot, great talent on the ball, um, played for Spurs, and he was compared to the legend that is Glenn Hoddle due to his magnificent ability to find a pass. Excited to chat to Tom Huddleston today. Yes, mate. Good guys. Hey. How's, how's it going? No, very good. I'm good, thanks. How are you? You look chilled, mate. You look chilled. <laughs> no, try it. <laughs> <laughs> so this this year's been a tough year for football, I think. When you look at, obviously, the pandemic uh, and mm-hmm. how it's had a massive effect on like, fans and VAR, super, the Super League at the moment. Do you think football's at a crossroads at the moment? What where do you th- where do you see it going in the future? I think um, if the Super League had gone ahead as planned, I think it would have been at a big crossroads. To be fair, um, thankfully, a few of the owners and clubs seen a little bit of sense or common sense. Um, I think the VAR. I just think that needs ironing out a little bit. I think it's a good idea and a good concept, but just a few finer details, which I think we probably should have expected them to be teething problems, but it's probably going on longer than expected, to be honest. Um, Mate, if you've got big toes, you're struggling, aren't you? No, exactly. (laughs) Again, different coloured boots, armpits, fingernails, everything. There's a lot of grey area where other sports that technology is involved in, like your NFLs, cricket or tennis, it's black and white. Whereas I think football, there's a lot of grey areas. So even some of the VAR decisions, people are still swayed both ways. So it's still down to one person's interpretation on that incident, which is the same as as it was before with a referee being in charge. Yeah, it's definitely tricky, isn't it? And for you at the moment, um, what 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 are your plans moving forward? Um, like club wise and and do you sell, do you sell, see yourself in a magic like manager or coaching that type of thing um short term obviously it's been a, a long year for myself as well mm. not only with the pandemic but this is my first year since leaving school without having a, a club um mm. so it's been difficult in that aspect um physically feeling good and mentally still want to have another year or two in football uh, so hopefully I can get myself in somewhere pre-season, uh, hit the ground running and show sort of people what I can do and what value I can bring to a squad, whether it's on the pitch or helping younger players. Um, longer term, I've done a few media bits this year, without obviously without having a club, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed, to be honest. I do quite, quite enjoy the media side of it and doing a bit of research beforehand and I enjoy watching football and studying the game anyway. Um, so I think longer term, if I could coincide that with a little bit of coaching. Um, personally, my character, I don't feel management would be for me. But whether what an that? assistant What's manager... What's your character like? <laughs> just quite chilled and chilled and laid back. And, um, 
yeah, I think I'd I think I'd work well under a manager kind of thing. Um, leave him to give the the tellings off and me just to take the coaching sessions or whatever it needs to be. You talked a little bit there about mental health. Um, you've obviously been watching a lot of football um, this year and studying the game. But how have you found, like mentally, not being actually with the lads and the training and the banter? And I think that's been the toughest part, to be honest. Um, start of the season, I was keeping on top of my fitness, expecting and hoping to sort of get the phone call off my agent or a club, uh, which the longer that went on and on, you sort of, for a couple of months, in maybe just before Christmas or around Christmas time, I didn't have much interest in watching football, to be honest, mm. just because I'd watched the first few months and a lot of the games I was watching, I knew I would be able to add value to them certain teams. But without the phone call, I'm sat at home. And I think that, that coinciding with the fact it's been a difficult year for everybody, for me, if it was a, a normal, say, summer or season without a club, you would have been able to see the family more often, go on holiday with the family to get away from things, or I'm quite enjoying my golf the past few years. So everything like that has stopped. So it's probably impacted it a little bit more. Wait a minute, are you enjoying your golf? Are you playing with Gareth at the moment? No. <laughs> so, so you've had um, you've had four hundred, well, over four hundred appearances in your career. Um, what would you say your highlights are? Um, I think there's a few, to be honest, without sounding sort of big-headed. I think a big achievement looking back and the way the game's gone now. Literally, as soon as I left school. I got straight into Derby's first team and played two full seasons as like a 16 and 17 year old in the championship at a club. We finished fourth in one of the seasons, so a club that was pushing for promotion, um, which now I know Bellingham played quite a lot at Birmingham as well at a young age and obviously got his move to Dortmund. But there isn't many that get in the team at that age and stay there for a sustained period. Um, the only trophy I've won is the League Cup with. Tottenham, which, as you know, is is that that's too long ago for them not to have won a trophy since. But that's a, pr a very proud moment for myself. Um, and I have said it recently, speaking to people from Tottenham. I was only 21 at the time, and at the time we were getting to quarterfinals and semi-finals quite regular, whether it be in the domestic cup competitions or the Europa League. So I probably took it a little bit for granted, to be honest, at the time. Uh, but looking back now, it is a. I know it's downplayed the League Cup, but it is it is a, an achievement that I am proud of. Um, but I think as a kid, obviously you want to win the Premier League. But making my debut for England in Qatar, I my my mum was there in the crowd, and it was against Brazil, so that was Sick, like, right? the, the ideal uh, opponent to make your debut against. Who who was in the Brazil side? Can you remember? I actually seen a programme the other day of it and it was like, I think Rubinho, Kaká, Thiago Silva, Lucio. Right. Uh, I actually, want, could you, you get two shirts? Um, I swapped one of the shirts with Gilberto Silva. Nice. Uh, we had the same agent at the time, so I think they had pre-arranged it. Otherwise, I'd have tried to get Kaká's. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the Arsenal connection as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
What would you say was the biggest kind of decision that you've had to make in your career? Um, I think there's been two. And thank, well, not thankfully, but I've only had sort of three permanent clubs in my career. The first time at 18, when I ended up signing for Tottenham, I signed in the January. Um, and as I said, we, we ended up finishing fourth in the playoffs that season. Uh, but I think at the time we were third in the league. And going to a massive club like Spurs was like, do I risk not signing in the January and wait till the summer and see if there's Tottenham or other options with the possibility of getting promoted with Derby and having more of a chance to play regular in the Premier League for the club I played for for the past couple of seasons. But on the other hand, which outweighed it in the end was how often did these opportunities come around? Uh, this was 2004. So you had your Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, established top four. And then after that, it, in my eyes, it felt like it was Tottenham, Everton, Newcastle as your next bracket and then everybody else after that. So that was a difficult decision, but one that I couldn't pass up. Um, and then probably leaving leaving Spurs as well after being there eight years. I had a long, long injury once I just sort of established myself in the team with Harry Redknapp. I missed sort of 18 months on and off, maybe played 10 games in, throughout that period. Uh, by the time I was fit, we had a new manager in AVB who I played a few games, but I didn't feel I got the right opportunities under him. So leaving a club after eight years where you've signed as sort of an 18-year-old boy and leaving as a 26-year-old man, that was quite a difficult decision. Um, but one I felt I had to make at the time to be playing more regular football. Yeah, mate, it was useless as well. So you did <laughs> made the right decision. <laughs> um, you've played with obviously a lot of talented players. Like I, I was looking on uh, Wikipedia through because you you were at Spurs at two thousand and five, weren't you? So yeah, like uh, Berbatov and people like that. Who would you say are the most talented players that you've played with and then against? I think I always said with the Spurs ones, the three that stand out are like obviously Bale, okay. Modric, and Berbatov. For me, coming in and hitting the ground straight away, I think Berbatov was the best I've played with. Obviously, Gareth had quite a slow progression at Tottenham, and by the end, he was a world star and went on to Madrid and has done unbelievable things. Similar with Luca, I guess. Uh, but for me, the old time he was there, Berbatov was like second to none. And against, growing up, I was the biggest Steven Gerrard fan. Um, so, as in direct opponent, I'd have to say Steven Gerrard. I'm, I'm, I love watching kind of strikers and stuff. What, what made Berbatov so good to, to have as a, like a teammate? I think as a midfielder, anywhere in his vicinity. You could play it as hard as you want, at whatever height you want, and he would bring it under control. He looks a bit gangly and stuff, but he's like one of the strongest players, whether it's just natural core strength. He does work quite hard in the gym and stuff, to be fair, but that natural core strength, there's not many centre-offs. You look at him and centre-offs will think, oh, I can bully him today or 
I can hit him the first few minutes and he won't fancy it. But wherever you gave him the ball, he was all obviously composed, as we know. Um, never lashed at a ball, was always very relaxed with his finishing. But yeah, I just thought he used class on and off the pitch, to be honest. He didn't do a lot of running though, did he? <laughs> I, I think uh, he's got more leather jack- jackets yeah. than he did running, I think. Yeah, true, but... <laughs> <laughs> Another one, the way the way he played, he never lost the ball. So yeah, I didn't need to. The ones that gave the ball away more than him probably should have done a bit of the running instead. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier about the research for for some of the media work you've done, and like for me personally, I do a lot of kind of analysis on my game, looking at goalies, centre halves, the way they move, their strengths or weaknesses. Have you used kind of that type of thing in your game quite a bit um, throughout um, your career? In the when I was went to Hull, well at Tottenham with AVB, it started to come in. You get like an email the night before uh, for people to have a look on their phone or iPad, um, and it'll just give say the fifteen players that are likely to play for the opposition little two or three minutes on their strengths, weaknesses and uh, what they like to do more often than not. Um, I think, without sounding disrespectful to the players, more so my first couple of years back at Derby, um, when it was back in the Championship and we got similar emails, I'd probably, because it was players that I hadn't watched that much or didn't know that much about, I'd probably studied it a little, little bit more then, to be honest. Mm. Um I wouldn't go into too much details because I would more often than not sort of want them to worry about me and my team and what we can do rather than being overly worried about um, their strengths and weaknesses. But it is, I think with technology now, it is a good help and a bit of insight into the opposition, regardless of if you're watching them, I don't know, two or three times a week on the telly, you, you might still pick a little one thing up that might give you that little advantage that you're after. Yeah, and definitely like, within within a game. And like with definitely. with players that you've kind of played with or that you look at now, do you think it's like ability or attitude that takes you to the next level or mixture? Do you know what I mean? I think it's definitely a mixture, uh, but I think we've seen with some players that attitude can get you a long way as well. I think if it's just ability, it won't get you as far as if you've got the right attitude. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you've if you could combine the two, um, then all well and good. I think with the way the managers are nowadays, especially in the Premier League, if they've got somebody that's willing to listen, willing to buy into their ideas and sort of graph their nuts off in the week, mm. I think managers can take relatively average players and make them sort of world beaters. Mm, 100%. Name, name an average player that's now world beater. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I'm just thinking. Yeah, if you look at the the Liverpool team that Klopp inherited, mm. and then they've all brought into his not that they've been great this season, but they've all brought into his ideas. Even some of the players that Guardiola's worked with, a lot of people would scratch their head when he's signing them. But he develops the players just because they're willing to listen and work hard and buy into everything that he's saying. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely important, and I, th- I think you've. You've definitely got to have the talent and the ability, but attitudes are something that you need to have. One, uh, to develop as not just a player, but also a team player as well. And I, th- I think that's definitely 
from from the guests that we've had before, we've all all talked about the talent, having that raw talent and having something inside you, but also having the attitude that you want to be better. Now, I yeah. wanted to get a Spurs question in. Right, before <laughs> we do that, let me show you this. So, I've I've got a lot of Spurs shirts, you know, like loads. I've, I think I've got about 50, 50 Spurs <laughs> shirts. And so, I got this. And I don't know where I got it or how I got it, but I've got this shirt. You remember this one, right? Yeah, 4-4. Villa. Yeah. And then for some reason, <laughs> I don't know on the back. I don't know. Mate, I must have won it at a, like a trombola or something. <laughs> but it's a pretty it's a pretty cool shirt though. But what yeah, what that you, was the Go on, sorry. Go on, mate. No, go on, mate. No, I remember that shirt. We it was the hundred and twenty fifth anniversary at home to Villa and there was quite a few when I was there, but that was one of the crazy Epic games. I think it finished four four somehow. I just remember was that the Bentley. Was that the Bentley goal? Did Bentley score that? Um, was it like I just from the remember halfway or something? Oh no, that was Arsenal away. That was, was three three. No, that was four four as well. Actually, I remember Eunice Kabul jumping on Martin Yole as part of the celebrations, and <laughs> that's two big heavyweights right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Martin Yole's a big guy, right? Yeah. What what do you what do you think of the? Um... The situation at the moment at Spurs, I, I um, as a as a fan, and I do I do I do some of the po- fan podcasts as well. A massive Pochettino fan. I went to Madrid uh, for the final. Kind of bought into that philosophy. It kind of went a little bit sour, and some of the fans turned it, the back on him. Um, and you can see how, like, when you're in in with the fans, you're in with them, and then all of a sudden you have like eight or nine bad results where the players yeah. aren't aren't playing very well. And then also they get rid of him. And then obviously they get uh, Mourinho in. And never, like, never like Mourinho. <laughs> like, anybody that, that knows me always says, like, Ellen's, Ellen's cringing now because literally I've never said one good word about Mourinho. Um, and, and I watched that Amazon Prime show and thought, this guy is a right joker. Like, Deli Ali, one of our best players. Oh, you're lazy. You need to work harder. I'm like, and this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think's behind the kind of the downturn of Spurs at the moment? Uh, well, just going back off topic, but I think Pochettino's the perfect example for making pretty average players world stars. From what we were just saying before, <laughs> um, but yeah, I I'm the opposite. I love Mourinho from his first stint at Chelsea, um, but when he was linked with being the Tottenham manager. <laughs> I was thinking there's no way him and Daniel are going to see eye to eye. The type of squad Pochettino was like, he was like a father figure to a lot of the younger players, wasn't he? And we know that Mourinho doesn't manage like that. So I initially thought there's no way this can work. But then the first, say, six months, the way he was speaking in the press conferences, the results were better. Yeah, you was thinking, oh, he might have sort of turned a leaf in his managerial style but then as soon as it goes sour it's like you can see why it was never going to work in the first place um but i think the next manager's got a big job on his hands because i think it's a mini mini rebuilding job really the, yeah, whatever yeah, back four players. yeah whatever back four they play doesn't look settled or that that strong defensively obviously the sun came Bale or Moore on the right. Deli Alley, your sort of front four almost picks itself, but you're going to need reinforcements. 
Hoiberg, I think he's done. He's been excellent. Yeah. Uh, but it's who you play with him. The way Tottenham want to play, so I'm not sure Sissoko is the right central midfielder to play the way that Tottenham usually play. Uh, he's, he's good on the wing as an impact player, I think. And at Newcastle, he was very dangerous as a winger. Um, equally, Harry Winks, him and Hoiberg are pretty similar, as in they sit a little bit deeper. Winks probably wants to get on the ball a little bit more. So you're looking back four and midfield two or three, you're going to need sort of six or seven players. And the way the game's going, that's going to be a lot of money that Daniel probably won't want to, want to part with. So then manager-wise, that would reflect on the next appointment. Who do you reckon will, will come in into the club? Um, I've seen Conte linked, but I can't see him leaving Inter after just winning the league unless he's given five or six players that he wants. Um seen linked with Eddie R and Graham Potter or Scotty Parker, actually. I think if you give it to a younger one, like a Scotty Parker or Graham Potter, whatever happens, you have to stick with them for mm. 18 months to two years and try and see a progression. Because if you give him six months and one or two transfer windows and sack somebody again, you, you're you back to square one after, with Pochettino, the five years was like fully like that. Um, and Tottenham are in that sort of transitional period at the minute where it sort of could go either way. Do you, do you see them being able to keep Harry Kane? People were mentioning about trophies and I think similar with Salah at Liverpool, I don't think trophies are the be-all and end-all for Harry Kane's and Salah's, but if you don't win a trophy and miss out on the top four, um, mm. I think it makes it a lot more difficult to keep hold of them and it wouldn't surprise me if a... I just think it's not written in the stars because obviously anyone connected with Tottenham, maybe not yourself, but would want to see him stay. Um, but I think with Aguero leaving and oh, no. me personally, I think Harry Kane wants to stay in the Premier League, break Alan Shearer's record and then nobody ever will get anywhere near to that, I don't think. If Harry Kane can finish on... 280 Premier League goals. I can't see anybody surpassing that. Was he? Uh, was he in the uh, in the team? Uh, the the uh, under 21s when you were there. Was he... Yeah, he was. He played a couple of games. I think when I said I was injured on and off for 18 months, one of the games was in the Europa League against Hearts, and I think that was his debut game. Um, then he had a couple of loans after that. But that's another one. As a younger player, you wouldn't say. Oh, his ability is going to take him right to the top. But you could see his work work ethic, out practising. Obviously, his finishing's always been unbelievable. But somebody who's got some ability, but the, that work rate can, can go as far as they want, really, with the right opportunities. And what about, like, the Euros? Do you... Gareth's got a, a tough decision yep. on his hands, like... I've discussed this with a couple of my mates and <laughs> we've gone through our full team or squad and then they'll go, oh, what about him, him, him? And mm. then there's four or five players that you think, oh, they should be in it, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, well, he's got a tough enough decision for his formation, first and foremost, <laughs> never mind the squad. Um, yeah, you're right. But yeah, there's going to be two or three that will feel very hardly done by. Um mm. But that's what that's what he's in that position mm. for. Um, 
and I did say this about six months ago to my mate because he was asking me about Mason Mount. Obviously, we had him on loan at Derby and he was mm. unbelievable. Awesome, Another yeah. one who's got that work, work ethic as well. I said, by the time the Euros comes around, it'll be Rice, Mount and Foden as your free in midfield against the lesser teams. And I said, it could be that for the next sort of eight to ten years for England. And he was like, oh, I'm not sure about Mountie. And like Foden can only play on the wing. I'm like, against the lesser teams, you only need one. Like obviously, Gareth's renowned for playing two sitters against mm. the lesser teams. But for me, I think that midfield three would be exceptional. And it still allows you to play Kane, Rashford, Sterling, whoever you want as your front three. Sandro. I think, I think with the Euros this year, if Kane did get injured, I don't think it would be a a bigger issue than it was previously because because obviously Foden can fit in at like a three up front as well, couldn't he? Yeah, I think that's another thing with Foden being in and around the systems that Guardiola's played. Mm. He's played as that false number nine or when he plays with no striker but sort of two number tens. Um, he can play wide left, he can play wide right and he can play central. So he adds a lot of strings to England's bow. Um Calvert-Lewin, Bamford, they've all had great seasons as well. Um, Rashford could play through the middle as well, you'd imagine. So there is a lot of options for him to choose from. And what about um, Alexander-Arnold? He's got to go, hasn't he? He's got his, his, his best cross <laughs> of the ball in the team. I, I, for me, I think you can use him as a, a utility player as well, not just obviously in his uh, preferred p- position. Maybe play him as a, a wing-back or... I think that's... I think if it's a free at the back, I think he'll play as the as the wing back on the right hand side. Yeah. Um, for me, I still think Walker's the best right back in the league and the English one. Uh, so if well, it's he's going to play four, one of those centres, though, isn't he? He's going to yeah. Him inside, if it's a back three, I think Walker will play as the right centre back. Um, but yeah, it's awkward because you don't want to overload one position. In like, obviously, England have got four or five outstanding right-backs all playing for massive clubs and doing well. Sort of Walker, Alexander-Arnold, Reese James will fancy his chances of being in there because Chelsea are flying. You've got Trippier, Wan-Bissaka's at Man United finishing second in the league. So you've got five and usually it would be two, maximum of three. So a couple of them are going to miss out and that'll probably be his hardest decision, I'd say. And bringing Champions it back, final, bring it, it back to to you, Tom, <laughs> you as a yeah. But like, what, what's what, what are you kind of up to in the summer? Just getting yourself as fit as you can to to hopefully then get a club. Yeah, basically, as I say, last summer we had the initial ten week lockdown. The club gave us a program, uh, and I'd missed a bit of last season anyway, but got into good shape. Came back. Uh, with a no fans that was quite weird mm-hmm. and then as I said physically and mentally I felt very good so I was expecting and hoping to be mm. back in the championship club by the start of this season which didn't happen um, first few months I, I really kept on top of everything fitness wise waiting for the call which I'm still waiting for um, and then yeah on, probably the past, pick up the phone <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the past sort of maybe five or six weeks I've done a little bit, but I haven't mm. sort of religiously yeah. kept on top of it as I did. Uh, but last week, I wrote myself out a six-week programme, mm. which is like 
a weights program uh, running sort of five or six times a week, including either rowing, like indoor mm. rowing or indoor bike sessions first thing in the morning as well. So hopefully after them sort of six weeks, I'll be in yeah. top shape. And as I said, the, the target is to get in somewhere in pre-season, mm. show my fitness as at a level that you wouldn't expect after not playing for a year. Um, mm. And then show my qualities on the ball and helping the, the younger players in yeah. whatever squad it may be. What's the, what's the process in that as well? Is is that solely just waiting for your um, your agent or would you kind of go, oh, I know this player at, I don't know, Wickham or I know this player at Middlesbrough. Let's kind of try um, and tap up the manager. At the start of this season, it was a case of relying on your agent kind of thing. But that, as I say, that nothing came of that. Um, I wouldn't want to put too much pressure on a player going to see a manager and saying, oh, my mate told me he's out of contract. Would you fancy it? Um, But it's getting to that stage where if I needed to get a manager's number or a chief executive number, I'm I'm old enough now and long enough in the tooth to be able to pick up the phone, especially after waiting so long and bring a manager and just say, yeah, I've not had a club for a while. Am I right to come and train with you guys and see if you fancy me after two or three weeks of pre-season? Mm. Like, if not, fair enough. Some TikTok training videos. That's it, Tom. Get your get your yeah, TikTok. Yeah, I think that's what I'm missing. Some, I remember. Get, get the six pack out. You'll be fine. On YouTube, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Might have to do that. <laughs> yeah. So we finish off, uh, Tom, with ten quick fire questions, um, and I'll let you go first, Els. Quick fire okay. answers as well, or. Oh, it's up to you. It depends if, okay. if you uh, you can do. Okay, first one, track or ball? Uh, ball. More options. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> What's your greatest accom- accomplishment in life so far? Uh, making my family proud, I think. That's good. Are they still based in Nottingham, Tom? Yeah, my mum's up in Carlton. Uh, and then the rest of the family are scattered around Nottingham, but they're all up this way. Okay. Do you believe in ghosts? Not at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> you've not got a ghost at home then? No. <laughs> and I think you've answered this before, but what's the biggest risk you've taken? Um... It's different to what I answered earlier, but I'd say, so the year we got relegated with Hull in the championship, I was actually in my last year of my contract. Mm. And Steve Bruce had said sort of, if we get promoted, we can offer you a new contract. But if we don't, we might have to let you go. So that was a bit of a risk the last six months of that season. And thankfully we got to the playoff final and won. And I ended up signing a new two-year contract after that, thankfully. Okay, next one. Can you sing? No, but what did I do? My initiation at Derby, I did Gangster's Paradise. (laughs) 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 Just because it gets to the chorus pretty quick, so it wasn't too bad. And once you're at the chorus, everybody joins in and it's nerve wracking, isn't it? Doing them. Yeah, it's horrible. What what did you do? No, go on, Tom. 
Now, first one I did at Spurs, we was in South Korea in the pre-season and there were six new signings and we'd, we was out, everyone had had a couple of beers. So everyone just said, oh, you can get up in pairs. So that was a little bit easier. Me and yeah. Aaron Lennon did something then. I think uh, it might have been Michael Dawson and Andy Reid did something together. And doing it in pairs is a lot easier than, yeah. especially once everyone's had a couple of drinks rather than standing in a hotel room yeah. with the waiters about and <laughs> yeah. you're in front of the teammates that you've only known for a few weeks. That can be very awkward. Definitely. Yeah, it's not fun. Not fun at all. When are you the um, happiest? Um, Sporting-wise, probably assisted or scoring goals. Not that the scoring takes part that often. Um, but away from football, obviously, family time as anybody. Um, but in a different sporting environment, as I mentioned earlier, quite keen into my golf. So even if I play by myself, stick the AirPods in, get a podcast on and sort of... Track like and ball, obviously. Of, yeah, a couple of hours <laughs> walking around by myself playing yeah. golf. What's the silliest thing you've ever got upset about? Well, you can ask my wife, there'll be a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure, actually. As I said, I'm quite chilled and laid back, so I don't mm. think nothing would have rattled my cage too much. I, unless bet, it was I bet warranted. there's loads. I bet there's loads, <laughs> mate. But, but a little bit of dirt on those white boots or something like that. Uh, where, where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Uh, the plan would be to have two or three nights, regular media work, alongside being an assistant manager um, at whatever level, to be fair. One of my friends, he's looking to go his own route either next summer or the summer after and would want me as a player assistant. So hopefully, if he gets whatever job he wants. Uh, Is the one in, in the pipeline? Time, <laughs> no, no, he's in a job at the minute, so okay. can't say too much. <laughs> <laughs> How would your friends describe you? Uh, I don't know, laid back, unfazed, um, determined, driven. Uh, oh, that's what I'd want them to describe me as. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but really, they'd say different, right? No. I don't Just know, chill, I think right? it won't be too far away from that. And the last question... What's your greatest fear? Um, I don't know. I do have a little bit of the old FOMO, fear of missing out on things. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd want to live forever, really, and see how the world progress, but obviously... That's not going to happen, but I'm not sure as a as a realistic one. Mm. Have, you, have you got like a bucket list of things to do as well? Have you got... I haven't yet. Uh, what I did say when I first started playing golf, that my retirement summer would be 
I want to go and have a five-day trip out to Pebble Beach and play that golf course and a few other bits on the west coast of America. Uh, but I don't want that to be for a couple of years yet. Well, cheers, cheers, Tom. Um, you've been a star, and yeah, thanks for your honesty. Um, we had uh, Darren Bent on, and he did mention about you being in the on the plane when he actually had to jump off the plane to start. <laughs> <laughs> so he did mention you on our other podcast. But no, thanks a lot for your time and your energy, mate. And uh, yeah, see you on the road soon for one of those runs. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Let's get in shape first. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Great Britain.